Hey, it's Cody Woodard, and this is our podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope this message encourages you and helps you see that God wants to do something new in and through your life. Enjoy the message. Come on, who's excited to be in the house this morning? God is moving in this place. Let me pray for you. If you will, if you're receiving today what God has for you, if you're believing that God is going to do something in your life today, if you're expectant this morning, I want to encourage you, either lift your hand towards heaven or just turn your palms up as a physical sign of an inward spirit of receiving today. God, we come to you right now, desperate for a move, and I don't know in everyone's life what that looks like, but God, we do know that when we seek you with our whole heart, that we find you. God, I thank you for moving in such a way where you can transform us. God, only by your grace, by your power, by your might, can we be transformed, can we be saved. And so God, we may not be able to control the situations we're in. We may not even be able to get out of them, but God, I pray that right now, in the name of Jesus, you would remind us that you are with us in the prison. You are with us in the storm. You are with us in whatever we're going through. God, may that stir up faith in our hearts. Because God, if you are in it, it's not over. So God, today I ask that you would do the work only you can do. God, that you would change lives, that we would leave encouraged by your word and by your spirit. We love you so much. In Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said? Come on, everybody said? Hey, turn to your neighbor, tell them they look good today. Give them a, a high five, a hug. Don't be kissing nobody you don't know. Get in trouble like Samson. (laughs) Oh, man. Y'all been enjoying this series? Let me ask you again. Y'all been enjoying this series? Hey, today is our final week of a series that we've entitled Love Lies, where over the past couple of weeks, uh, we've been taking a look at the life of a man named Samson. You can find his story in Judges 13 through 16. Um, But uh, Samson believed, had the tendency to believe some lies as it pertains to his relationships, really even his life. And I think many of us believe those, those same lies. And uh, we tend to fall into the same traps and fall into the same patterns that we see our boy Samson uh, fall into. And we've kind of told you this every single week. Um, and I want to say it again. Samson was a man with great strength, with incredible strength, but with a dangerously weak will. Samson was an incredibly strong man with a dangerously weak will, and we find him over and over and over again making the wrong decisions, believing the wrong lies. However, last week I I pointed your attention to Hebrews chapter 11, which is known as the Hall of Faith, and in Hebrews chapter 11, Samson is listed. And so over the past couple of weeks, we see this incredibly long list of Samson's great failures. But when we flip to Hebrews 11, looking back, we see him on a list of men of great faith. And today I hope to open up the word of God in such a way where you understand and you can walk away and know why was it that Samson made it to the hall of faith after all of his failure, after all of his mistakes, how'd he get there? And so real quick, let's recap. If you've been missing the past couple of weeks, you can go back online and watch that. You can listen to it on the Apple podcast or however you want to get the content. But over the last couple of weeks, we've just been looking at some of the lies that that Samson believed. And we see in week one as Samson goes down to Timnah and he believes this lie of lust and he follows his heart and he falls in love with with this fine girl. And on his way down, a lion comes out and tries to attack him. And Samson, with the strength God had given him, rips apart the lion by its jaws kills it. And then sometime later, he goes back and, and he decides he wants to marry this woman, despite all logic, despite what his parents had said, despite the commitment that he had made to God to not marry someone he was unequally yoked with. He says, you know what, I'm not worried about it. I want her. I got to have her. And so he's going down on his wedding day and he's on the same path to Timnah and he notices the lion off the path dead. And so he walks off the path to go look at the dead lion. And when he gets there and he celebrates the last victory he had, he sees some honey inside the carcass. And so in that moment, he, he takes the honey and he eats it out of the carcass of the lion, breaking his first vow to God, which was a Nazarite vow to not touch anything dead. And then it says that he decided to throw himself a bachelor party, a kegger as we call it here. 
and, uh, and Samson drinks, which then he broke the second vow to God to never have anything to drink. And when he got to drinking and he got to partying, he started getting a little cocky, started running his mouth like some of us do when we go that route. And uh, he says, you know what, I'm going to tell a riddle because I'm smarter than y'all. Y'all never get this riddle. And so he tells the enemy this riddle, the, the men that the, the woman's parents invited into his party. And he tells them this riddle and they can't solve it. And they become frustrated. So then they go to his now wife and says, if you don't get him to tell us the riddle, we're going to kill you. We're going to burn down your father's house with you in it. And so what does she do? She, she nags him week or day after day after day. And it says that Samson got so tired of her nagging. You see him respond and he tells her the riddle. And the enemy comes and says, all right, man, it's time to pay up. And he says, if you wouldn't have plowed with my heifer, Turn to, your, turn to your neighbor and say, don't call her a, hef, a heifer. Don't call her a heifer. If you, if you weren't here for week one, you need to go back. You don't ever call your woman a heifer. It's bad news. So he says, if you wouldn't have plowed with my fat heifer, you wouldn't have known the riddle. He gets mad. So what does he do? He goes down to a town, kills 30 random men. Instead of going to the gap, he goes to them, kills them, gets 30 outfits, hands it to the enemy, runs home to his mama, hanging out in mama's house. And then he comes back and he finds out that because he left her at the altar, her dad gave, gave her away to his best man. It's like soap opera Samson. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> like, what? This, this story's crazy. So then he's mad, right? And and then you see in week two, we talked about how he was driven by his emotions rather than being led by the spirit. And out of anger, what does he do? He then goes and he, he catches 30, 300 foxes, which is really impressive. How many of you have ever seen a fox? Like four people. How many of you know the sound of a fox? I'm just kidding. Don't do it. <laughs> he catches 300 foxes and he lights their tails on fire and he sends them out into the grain fields and he burns down all the grain fields of the Philistines, which makes them mad, as you can imagine, because that was their source of food and supply. And so what does he do is he runs away. He hides out in a cave. And in his moment of great desperation, he's in the desert. He cries out to God and says, God, I'm going to die in this desert if you don't help me. And so what does God do in his grace? He provides water for him in the desert. And it says his soul was strengthened and he was revived. He, he gets captured and he's taken down to the Philistines. And on his way down, he breaks free of the bindings that they had him in. And he picks up the jawbone of a donkey and he kills a thousand men. And he says, with the jawbone of a donkey, I made jack. I mean, I made, I made, I made donkeys out of them. His words, not mine. Don't get mad. Don't read it, King James. <laughs> and, uh, and then it says something interesting after he was revived and strengthened. It says that he led Israel for 20 years. He judged Israel. That was his role. His, his whole purpose in being born, God from birth set him apart and said, Samson, your purpose in life is to set my people free from the hands of the Philistines. And it ends that, that chapter with, he led Israel 20 years, and he kind of summarizes the next 20 years of his life. But then in week three, we learned that one day, somebody say one day, one day he goes down to a town named Gaza and he sleeps with a prostitute, blows 20 years of faithfulness for one night of fun. And he blows this moment and he he sleeps with a prostitute and then he, he taunts his enemy. He goes up and he rips off the door of the gate of Gaza and he, he's shoulder pressing it above the, above the city entrance, letting them know that they don't have any protection anymore. And then he gets away with it. And then it says sometime later, once again, sometimes later, he goes down to the valley of Sorek where he meets this fine woman named Delilah. Say Delilah. Delilah. And he finds himself in the valley of Sorek with fine women and a lot of wine. And uh, we find him once again making the same old mistake over and over and over, believing this lie that he can handle it. That's what we talked about last week is that we tend to be prideful in thinking, well, I've gotten away before. I've done it before. I've, I've been able to get away with it this long. And so he believes this lie of pride and thinks, ah, I can handle it. And so what I want to do is I want to kind of recap just the end of that story again today, and then we're going to kind of finish it out. But here's what it says in that moment. It says, after putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him, and his strength left him. 
See, the purpose of Delilah was to subdue. It was to weaken Samson of the great strength God had given him to, to discover the secret to his strength. And when you lay in the lap of Delilah, you will find yourself in a really vulnerable position because when you start to trust her, she will steal from you. And see, Delilah doesn't just come in the form of a woman. Delilah will come in the form of a bottle. Delilah will come in the form of pills. Delilah will come in the, the form of that friend that you thought was a friend, but then when, when things hit the fan, they actually weren't your friend. You know what I'm talking about? Delilah will come in the form of a boss. Delilah will come in the form of all kinds of stuff. And, and the same principle applies is that if you stray from your standards and you lay in bed with Delilah, you will lose your strength. And you won't even realize it. It says he didn't realize that his strength left him. Why? Because he believed the lie of pride. And he says this in verse 20. When he woke up, he thought, I'll do as before and I'll break myself free. And that's why so many of us will lose the strength God has given us because we think, well, I've done it then. I can do it again. And he, he's filled with pride and he says, oh, I can get out of this. I've always gotten out of it. But he didn't realize that the Lord had left him. And, and I talked about last week, and I need you to get this, that, that God's love is unconditional. But God's blessing is conditional. So his gifts, his blessing is given to you in grace, but is sustained in obedience. And so oftentimes we believe what Samson believed, and we just kind of take advantage of the blessing and the grace of God and think, you know what? I can do whatever I want. I can act how I want. It's not going to cost me. And so he rationalizes the same old sin, thinking that his sin will never catch up with him. But it does. It, it, it catches up with him, and the truth is, is that it will catch up with you as well. And God removes his hand from Samson, not his love, but he removes his hand of blessing, the strength he had given him. He removes it from him. And I'm going to be honest with you. It was probably one of the most gracious things God could ever do is to let you see what it's like to try to function and set yourself free apart from his strength. Let's learn from Samson. And realize that apart from the grace and the strength of God, you cannot set yourself free. You cannot set yourself free. And then I want to I go here and I want to I talk and I want to read this for a second. Verse, let me see where it's at. Verse 21. He didn't know the Lord had left him. Watch what happens. Then the Philistines seized him. They captured him and gouged out his eyes. They took him to Gaza where he was bound with bronze, cha bronze chains and forced to grind grain in the prison. So how did Samson get here? H how did Samson become a man with great purpose and strength and end up with his eyes gouged out in Gaza, chained in a prison, grinding grain? And we said this last week, Samson didn't ruin his life all at once. He ruined his life one step at a time, one step at a time. And so oftentimes we find ourselves in the place where we've messed up and we ask ourselves and people ask themselves, how did I get here? You ever ask that question? How, how did I come to the place and I do the thing that I never said I would do? Like what, what, what happened? And so let's look at the result again, because what Samson did and what we will do, if you're not careful, is we will stray from our standards. And when you stray from your standards, you stray from your strength. And so now I'm going to talk about standards for a little bit, because I know standards ain't sexy. Standards are oftentimes like seatbelts. Am I the only one who hates seatbelts? Anybody? Anybody? especially on an airplane. Like, why? Someone's like, it's because of the turbulence. It's fine. I can brace myself. The plane goes down. You gotta, it don't matter about your seatbelt. Sorry to be the bearer of bad news. But standards, oftentimes, they're, they're like seatbelts. They're inconvenient. They're uncomfortable. I don't really like to wear one. But standards are like seatbelts in such a way where they may just save your life when your life comes crashing down around you. 
And so when we stray from our standards, we stray from our strength. And so what God is wanting us to do in this season is God is wanting us to set biblical standards because when you set biblical standards for your life, you develop strength in God. How many of you know God has a standard for your life? There, there's some things he's called us to do as children of God that we, we go, hey, this, this is the purpose of the standard. And now, we, we don't like standards and, and the idea really, the problem with them so oftentimes is because I think many of us get our standards in the wrong place and we Google them. We, we, we ask our friend about what, we should, what they should do, what we should do. Um, and the problem oftentimes is we don't set standards until we're already in the storm, until you're already in the wreck. It ain't no good once you wreck to go ahead and put your seatbelt on. You set the standard before the wreck. Amen? They're, they're like a fence, right? Like standards, they, they keep me protected on the inside and keep stupid on the outside. Amen? <laughs> this is the purpose of standards. And God's standards are not to just limit you. God's standards are to protect you. It's to protect you from believing the lies that we see Samson believes. So he puts these standards as it pertains to our relationships and the way we relate to one another. He sets these standards in the way that we handle our money. He sets standards in the way that we handle our time. He sets standards in the way that we should act, the way we should talk, the way we should think, the way we should believe. And he's not doing it just to, to restrict you. He's doing it to protect you from yourself. See, standards don't make me better than you. Standards make me better than me. I'm going to say that again. Standards don't make me better than you. They make me better than me. Turn to your neighbor and say, I got standards. I got standards. Some of us get in the wrong relationships because we don't have standards. And we let Delilah cut off our strength. Let me just say this to all of you who aren't married. Maybe you're in a single season. Maybe you're dating and you're in a relationship. Um, as I mentioned before, Delilah doesn't always come in the female. Sometimes it comes in the form of David. You know what I'm talking about? If, if you're with somebody and they're trying to get you to stray from your standards, they're not doing it because they love you. They're doing it because they want something from you. It's called manipulation. And if you're not careful, you will find yourself in the lap of Delilah, in the lap of Daniel, of David, or whatever his name is. And you think that you're safe, but he'll drain you from your strength. Don't stray from the standards that God has given you as a man of God, as a woman of God. And so let, let's read this again, because this is the result when we stray from our standards. It, the Philistines captured him and gouged out his eyes. What is this symbolic of? Samson lost his vision. See, he had a vision for his life. He had a purpose for his life. But when he strayed from his strength, he lost his sight. And, and for some of us right now, maybe the reason that you can't see the vision God has for your life is because you strayed from the standard. And so you, you've lost sight in your marriage. You, you lost the vision for your career path. You, you, you no longer can see and life starts to, to look completely different than you ever imagined. Why? All because you strayed or failed to set standards. So they gouge out his eyes and he can no longer see. Scholars say that they, would, they burned out his eyes and then they would pull out the, the, left, the rest. Then what did they do? They took him to Gaza. Where's Gaza? Gaza was the place of his last mistake. Gaza was the place where he failed, remember? Gaza was the place of stronghold. It was the enemy's camp. It was leadership circle. They brought him back to the place, to the stronghold where his enemy had power, where he would have been reminded not of who he was, but of who he wasn't. And when you fail to set standards and you stray from those standards, what the enemy wants to do is take you back to the place of your last mistake and remind you of who you are not. And so here he is without vision being reminded of his last mistake in Gaza where he was bound with bronze chains. He shackled. 
when we stray from our standards, don't be surprised when you're shackled. And the thing that he used to be able to break, that he had strength over, now had strength over him. And so oftentimes we believe that lie that I can handle it. And all of a sudden, you find your life shackled. You find yourself captive to your thoughts, captive to your decisions, captive to the addiction, captive to the wrong decision, captive to following the heart, captive to being driven by emotion. And you find yourself in chains and you think, you know, I, I, I can never get out of this place. And then what happens? It says they forced him to grind grain in the prison. And see, this was one of the most evil things. This is the way that they punished people. And see, what would happen in this time, this idea of grinding grain in the prison, what they would do is they would take their prisoners down into this basement and there would be this massive rock that, would, that weighed a couple of tons and they attached a long board to it. And so when it says that Samson was grinding grain in the prison, what he would have been doing was he would have been pushing this log around and around and around this rock. And as he was walking in circles, he would be grinding grain in the prison. Life ever feel like you're just walking in circles? Grinding grain, no purpose. How does a man with such great strength and such great purpose find himself grinding grain in the prison? So let's talk about the grind. Let's talk about those moments in our lives where we find ourselves where we've taken steps in the wrong direction and we find ourselves in the, in the grind. Here's my question. What do you do when you failed? What do you do when you come to the place in life where you have lost vision for your life? where the things you used to have victory over now has victory over you, where you've made mistake after mistake after mistake. You, you've, you've broken the vow. You've broken the commitment. You've done the thing you never said you would do, and you find yourself grinding. What do you do when you failed? You do not believe the lie that the enemy will sell to you next, that it's too late. What the enemy wants you to believe is that you have failed and it is too late for you. There is no more hope. It's too late for forgiveness. It's too late to turn around. It's too late to get it better. It's too late to make it right. It's too late to find joy. It's too late to find hope. He sells you the lie. It is too late. And I came to declare over your life, with God, grace is never too late. It is never too late for the grace of God. And so what do we do when we find ourselves in the prison? We keep grinding. Turn to your neighbor, say, keep grinding. Keep grinding, keep grinding. What do we do? We, you don't quit. You keep grinding. And let me just go ahead and tell you that when you grind, when you say, I'm not gonna quit, and I'm going to grind day after day. I'm going to keep grinding. I know I've made my mistakes. I've messed up. I feel like I'm walking in circles. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep grinding. Let me make you a promise that when you keep grinding, God's grace will meet your grind. My grind, God's grace. Say that with me. Say my grind, God's grace. God's grace will meet you in the grind. And let me tell you why. Because God is so much better at forgiving than you are at failing. I'm going to say that again. God's grace. He is so much better at forgiving than you are at failing. And I'm so thankful that it doesn't stop on verse 21. I'm so thankful for verse 22. Because before long, his hair began to grow back. Because he didn't quit in the grind, God's grace met his grind. And let me just tell you, if you will keep grinding, if tomorrow morning you will rise and grind, and on Tuesday you will rise and grind, here's what I really believe with everything in me. God's grace will meet your grind and your hair will start to grow back. Your strength will come back. Your hope will come back. Your peace will come back. Why? Because God's grace meets your grind. And he is so much better at forgiving 
than you are at failing. It's not too late because it's never too late for the grace of God. Amen. Y'all put your hands together. Thank God for that truth. Feeling the spirit of God in this room moving. So here he is. He's grinding day after day after day. But there's one problem. You may be forgiven, but you're still in prison. So what do you do when you're grinding day after day and you're just waiting on the grace of God to come in and meet you in your grind? And he forgives you. It's the best news ever. But you're still in prison. The situation still hadn't changed. The grind is still happening. You know you're forgiven, but you still may feel hopeless. You know that you're forgiven, but you still may fail. Here's, what, here's what's really important to understand. Failure is an event, never a person. Failure is an event, never a person. So the next time that you fail, what the enemy is going to try to put in your mind and put in your spirit is that it is too late, and that is who you are. But God's grace, he is so much better at forgiving than you are at failing. He's so much better. I need you to get that in your spirit today. Because your life is not defined by your failure. Your life is defined by God's faithfulness. And so let's watch what Samson does in prison. When he's grinding day after day. Let's look at this, this next verse. It says this, that the Philistine rulers held a great festival offering sacrifices and praising their God, Dagon. They said, our God has given us victory over Samson. So here they are, they're at a festival and, and they were in the temple. Now, to give you kind of a visual that you might be able to picture, the temple would have been like a coliseum. And so it would have had this like horseshoe type of effect and, and there would have been grass in the middle and the, the seats would have been stacked on top of each other in a couple different layers. And it says that they're there and they're celebrating the fact that they have captured Samson and they're praising their God, Dagon. Now, Dagon was their God that they, that they called the God of the harvest. And I find Dagon really weird and interesting because Dagon was all fish with a man's head. That's what he looked like. Kind of like Aquaman without the abs and the biceps. You know what I'm talking about? So they're, here they are, they're worshiping the fish man God, like, hey, fish man God, thank you for providing for us. We captured Samson. And then it says, when the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, our God, fish man God, has delivered our enemy to us. The one who killed so many of us is now in our power. What are they referring to? They're referring to the thousand men that he killed with the jawbone of a donkey. They're referring to the 300 foxes that he, he lit their tails on fire and they burned down the entire grain fields. So they're saying, praise God, praise Dagon for letting us capture him because he used to have power over us, but now we have power over him. Here's verse 25. While they were in high spirits, they shouted, bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he performed, say performed. He performed for them. This is one of the most shameful things that you could ever do to somebody. Here Samson is blind, shackled, grinding grain in prison. He may have a little peach fuzz on his hair, filled with shame. And after his greatest mistake, what did his enemy do? Scorned him, publicly embarrassed him called them out, said, bring out Samson. We want him to entertain us while we sit back and drink, while we sit back and party. And it says that they made Samson perform for them. Can I just tell you, your enemy wants you to perform for him? Isn't this what he wants to do? Like, don't be deceived. He's like a roaring lion looking to destroy your life, to steal, kill, and destroy. And so oftentimes we underestimate our enemy, but his role is to distract you. His role is to try to destroy your life. And I believe one of the ways he does it most is through performance. Yeah. 
that he wants you to believe that your purpose is to just perform for him day in and day out. And you believe if I perform hard enough, I'll overcome his power. I'll just keep, I'll just keep performing. You know, God doesn't love you based on your performance. He doesn't love you based on what you do for him or not do for him. He loves you because it's who he is. Because you're a child of God. You were created in his image. But the enemy wants you to believe that you, you better perform. And what happens when you believe this lie is that you give up in the grind. Don't quit. Keep grinding. Don't confuse the silence of God with the absence of God. Because this is where so many people, they find themselves performing in a prison and they get so tired of performing that they lay down in the grind. And what could have been a season turns into a life sentence. You gotta keep grinding. And so here Samson is, he's having to be performing for his enemy. He's forced to just do it day in and day out and he's reminded of his failure. And so here's the question, um, what do you do when you find yourself in the place of shame because of your failure. See, the, the natural response is remorse. The, the natural response is to feel guilty. And, and I've seen remorse kind of work its way into our lives in two ways. The first thing remorse does is, is it tends to get us focusing inwardly. And what we do is, is that we, we say, you know what, I'm not good enough. I'm a failure. I'm a screw up. I'll never get better. I'll never change. I'll never be able to get out of this. I failed. I'll never stop failing. It'll never, it'll never change. And what we do is while we're already down, we beat ourselves up even more. This is exactly what the enemy wants you to do. Is that in your moments of failure and shame is to live there and lay down in the grind. I've also seen it, remorse turned outwardly, where it's not so much of an internal thing, but an external thing. And the way this looks is we see this play out in, in what we call the victim mentality, where I am where I am because it's everybody else's fault. Anybody ever seen this? Hey, I've been guilty of it. They're like, I, I, I'm here, I'm in this situation. I can't get out of it, I'm shackled. Well, it's not really my fault. I mean, I had a part to play, but really, it's the heifer. <laughs> Ain't that what Samson did? If you wouldn't have plowed with my heifer, you wouldn't have solved my riddle. Delilah, if you wouldn't have come at me with your voluptuous body trying to seduce me, tying me up with thongs, I wouldn't be here. And so what do we do? We, we play the victim, and we start blaming everybody else. But when really, we took the steps to get there. And so we, we see the, re the response to failure in our shame is, is remorse. But the better response is repentance. See, repentance is not only feeling guilty about what you've done and that you've messed up. It, it is about owning it. It is about getting honest and said, you know what? There may have been a lot of other circumstances out here, but I actually believed the lie. I took the wrong step. I walked in the wrong direction. Therefore, I ended up in the wrong destination. It's on me. But it goes beyond that. Because see, the idea of repent, re means to turn, pent means to highest. So when we say to repent, it means that we turn from our lowly place of sin and we look up to the God who is greater than it. And we trust that he has the ability that no matter how much you've failed, he can still redeem. And so what do we do? We, we turn from our sin and we look to God and go, God, I know what I've done in my past. I know that I can't change it. You know you can't undo yesterday, right? But you may, you may not be able to undo your past, but you can repent in the present. And you may not be able to change your past, but God can change your future. And so we turn to God and we go, God, I know what I've done. But now I'm turning to you. And the scriptures say that his mercies are new every morning. Anybody thankful for that? 
And so these are the two responses of failure. Let's see this time how Samson responds when he's in prison, grinding. It says, when they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, Put me where I can fill the pillars that support the temple so that I might lean against him. Now, the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there. And on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Let me, let me stop here. Because when I say repent, let's, just, let's make it practical. When I say to repent, the question really is, and I don't know the answer for you, what do I repent from? Because you've got to get honest about where you've strayed from your standards and where you've failed to set standards. And so I think there were really, if you, if you look at Samson's life, there were really a couple of like, categories that I would put Samson's straying in or his failed standards in, and I think you and I can relate. And, and so whether you have strayed from your standards and you lose your strength, or you failed to set standards and you lack stability, the, the question is, have you strayed or have you failed to set standards in your beliefs? That's the first one, write that down. Beliefs, what does Samson do? He, he strayed from his beliefs. Some of us are straying from our beliefs. You used to believe it, you'll declare it, you'll sing about it on Sunday, but on Monday you'll walk away. You'll stray from the thing that you claim to believe. And so we, we end up straying from our beliefs. Some of us have yet to set our beliefs. And because we don't know what we believe, we're not rooted. So every time the wind blows and something comes up that we think looks good and feels good, we'll just kind of follow our heart. You see how this works? So he strayed from his beliefs. The next thing he strays from is his relationships. Have you strayed in your relationships? We see this time and time and time again with Samson, right? He doesn't marry. He doesn't get with who he's supposed to get with. Instead, he strays from the standard. And for some of us, we found ourselves in unhealthy relationships because we failed to set standards. We believe that lie that they can complete you, that you can change them. And you strayed or failed to set standards in your relationships. Another area he, he strayed in was his ambition, where God gave him this strength. God gave him the strength to overpower the enemy and do what he's been called to do. But his ambition turned inward and it was selfish. And he used his gift for selfish gain. And so many of us have been blessed with gifts by God. And because we failed to set the standard in the proper context and we realized that that was given to me by God and to be used for God, what we do is we take the gifts of God, whether it be your strength, whether it be your wisdom, whether it be your discernment, whether it be communication, and what we do is we make it selfish and about us and we turn it inward towards our lives and we see ourselves straying in our ambitions. He strayed in his commitments. Have you, have you strayed in your commitments that you've made? Have you failed to really set your feet in those commitments? Or every time something comes up that you want, you're just going, ah, it's okay. It won't cost me. It's fine. I can handle the consequence. And the last thing you see, Samson, that he did was he strayed in his emotions. He, he failed to set the standard in how he would let his emotions control him. And so we see him being driven by his emotions rather than being led by the Spirit. And so many of us, we just react when things upset us, right? And, and we, we respond in anger. We call our woman a heifer or you call your husband a donkey, you know what I'm saying? And we allow the emotion to get the best of us. But But we just, we have to learn that, that there is strength in standards. And so when you're in the prison, not only do you turn to God, but you gotta learn to brace yourself. Because when you cry out to God and you repent, what Samson does next is he says, God, please remember me. God, please help me. 
When you, when you turn to God and you cry for help and you ask God to, to fill you up and you, you confess and you say, God, I've, I've, I've messed up a thousand times. I failed. I've strayed from the standard and I need your help. Samson says, God, please remember me. Give me strength just one more time. Just once, just one more on the Philistines. He says, I, God, I know I've messed up a thousand times. I don't need a thousand more chances. I just need one more chance. I just need your strength one more time because this time I'm going to believe you and I'm going to use it for the right way. It's not going to be about me and my ambition. I'm recommitting myself to you in this moment. I'm turning from my sin. God, please give me your strength one more time to do what you've called me to do. Just give it one more time. Our God is the God of second chances. But when you cry out for grace, you better brace yourself. Somebody say, brace yourself. Brace yourself. Say it again. Watch what Samson does next. It says, then Samson, he reached out toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself. Say, brace yourself. Brace just bracing himself against them, the right hand on one and his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more people when he died than when he lived. What do you do when you're in the prison? You, you turn to God, you cry out for help, you, you brace yourself. And then when God gives you the strength, you push over the pillar. Somebody say push over the pillar. See, Samson knew that what the enemy stood on, the strength of the temple of the enemy, was, was laid on these pillars. And what Samson knew is that if I can just push over the pillars, the enemy will be defeated. Can I just tell you, the only pillar that Satan can stand on in your life are lies. He does not have the power over you. If you are in Christ, you have resurrection power that raised Jesus from the grave, that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And so he pushes over the pillars. Some of us gotta push over the pillars because when you, when you determine the lies that you're believing and you declare, I'm gonna push those over, the enemy loses his power in your life. And so here's the question I've asked at all series, where does your love lie? You gotta push over that pillar. And I don't know what lie you're believing that the enemy is standing on, that he's taking stronghold in on your life. You push over the pillar. You push over the lie. You drown out the lie with God's truth. And so maybe for you, it is the pillar of lust. And what the enemy has control over your life in is what you're looking at. The pillar is just doing what feels good. Maybe the pillar is that the enemy has you convinced that You'll always struggle with this and you, you replay it over and over in your mind and you define your life by your mistakes. And you need to push over that lie and push over that pillar and realize that my life is not defined by my failures. My life is defined by God's faithfulness. And so you need to push that over. For some of you, it's, you need to push over the pillar of selfishness. You need to push over the pillar of greed. And the way that you do that, the way you push over the pillar of greed is with generosity. When you realize God didn't bless you with it to use it for yourself, God blessed you with it to use it for him. And so the way you push over the pillar of greed is by being generous. The way you push over the pillar of selfishness is by serving. Some of you have been given some strengths and you've been given blessing by God and it's not for you. It's God gave it to you because he wants to get something through you. So you want to push over the pillar in your life and you want to dethrone the enemy and you, you don't want to be controlled by this anymore. You may need to just start using your gift to serve God. Start using your resources to invest into the kingdom, not just what's cool online. For some of us that were, were, were captured by the, the lie of lust, 
What you maybe need to do is get with some people who will hold you accountable, who will remind you this is leading to destruction. And you need some godly people in your life. You need somebody you can call up and go down to Panera Bread or Chipotle or wherever. And you need to have an honest conversation about where you're really at and what you're struggling with. You may need to get in a group. But what God told me to tell you is that today is the day you got to push over the pillar. It is not too late. It is never too late for the grace of God because God is better at forgiving than you are at failing. I'm going to show you this prove it to you because the last verse in this passage is so powerful and it's so easy to skip over so easy to just overlook and the reason and the way that I know that your life isn't defined by your failures is because it was in that moment God used Samson to accomplish his purpose and if you got breath in your lungs God's not finished with you yet and God can use you to accomplish his purpose even in your failure And so watch what this last verse says. And I love this so much. Here's what it says, last one. Verse 31, then his brothers and his father's whole family went down to get him. This is after Samson died. They brought him back and buried him between Zorah and Eshtal in the tomb of Manoah, his father. (laughs) I love it, he took him back to his roots. Mm. To the place God gave him strength was the place he was buried. Here's the last part. He had led Israel 20 years. You know why that's in there? Because Samson's life wasn't defined by his failure. Samson's life was defined by God's faithfulness. And though we've seen seen Samson's failures throughout this entire story, but now we see God's faithfulness, don't we? See the reason? that Samson is in the hall of faith? Is it because he lived a perfect life? The reason you'll be known for your faith isn't because you won't fail. The reason you'll be known for your faith is because God's faithful. And so what did Samson do? How did he get in the hall of faith? Well, let's think about it for a second. We're gonna end. At the end of his life, he turns to God. He doesn't give up in the grind. He cries out for help. Braces himself. And he repents and gives his life for the sake of God's people. Watch this. Samson willingly gave his life so God's people could be set free. That reminds me of somebody else. It points us to a greater Samson greater Jesus who did not believe the lie the enemy sold him but who willingly went to the cross for you and for I so that God's people can be set free amen hey will you stand with me right now I want to pray for you and we're going to sing this last song we're declare it and uh and right now I want to encourage you to receive what God has had has for you that some some of you today you're going to push over the pillars of the lie that you're believing And you're gonna realize that you may not be able to get yourself out of the situation, but you can be free in your mind. And God's grind, God's grace will meet your grind. And so today, right now, if you're pushing over some pillars, I wanna pray for you. We lift your hands towards heaven. God, thank you so much for everybody in this room. God, we ask that you would give us the strength to accomplish our purpose, to push over the lies that the enemy has built his built his kingdom on. God, we know that through your power and through your strength, we can tear down strongholds. And so today, God, we push over the pillar in Jesus' name. Everybody said? All right, I'm gonna pray this for the rest of you who've never turned to God, never repented. Right now, I wanna give you the opportunity to do that. And so today, if you are saying yes to the grace of God, you're turning from your ways, you're trusting him, I wanna pray for you. So right now, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for everybody who's making that decision today. They're returning to you. They're turning from their sin and they're facing towards you now. God, meet them with your grace and their grind. Fill their spirit, fill their heart. Change them from the inside out. And if that's you right now, I would love for you to lift your hand so I can celebrate with you. If today you're making that decision to follow Jesus or to come back to God, to return to God, if that's you right now, lift your hand.
So God, right now, I just thank you so much for moving in this place, for saving, for your grace. We love you. And in Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Hey, next week, we're going to be kicking off a series called Winning the War in Your Mind. And over the next month, we're going to study through the book of Philippians together. Every week, you already know what's coming. Philippians 1, 2, 3, and 4. Next week is going to set it up. We're going to talk about how we can be set free in our mind. And so what I want to do is direct your attention to Jesus. Right now, Philippians chapter 2, if you throw it on the screen, verse 5. Here's what it says. The greater Samson, the one who gave his life for us. Here's what you do in your relationships. Here's where your love should lie. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. If you believe that this morning, put your hands together. Thank God for the grace of Jesus. Thank God. Let's sing this together. so much for listening to the message today. If it encouraged you in any way, we would love to hear about it. Send us an email to stories at renovation.church. And if you'd like to partner with us financially and help us continue to reach people all over the world, you can do that by going to our website, renovation.church give. Have a blessed day.